0: This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what-the-fucks. You're listening to Playing With Advantage, an informative podcast about the various origins and topics dealing with the tabletop role-playing genre. I, as always, am Kenneth Moffat, the Southern GM, and with me, uh, we have our Hive this afternoon, as always, with James Bardwell. Hello. Hello. And Brody, I keep forgetting your last name, Elder Fenris. We'll just go with the perfect organism for this one. That's very true. And it's a, very, it's a, uh, it's a perfect sort of segue into uh, our topic for today. Normally, we up until now, we've dealt with the more popular, the more kind of well-known Dungeons & Dragons. But as we said, there are many other tabletop role-playing games and other uh, different systems you can use. And the one we're going to talk about today is the Aliens Roleplay System. And yes, folks, we're talking about the great franchise piloted by Mr. Ridley Scott, and that's just grown so much and has done. It's literally has far-reaching avenues now. It's done books and games, the movies, and now a tabletop role-playing game. And for that, I will throw it over to the Lord of Darkness himself, because this is a uh, the the literal like trembling you have every time you talk about the Aliens franchise, Brody. Gives me some thought that maybe you know a little bit about it. Just a tad. <laughs> well, take it away, sir.
1: So, yeah, the Alien RPG is a system created by Free League Publishing. They are known for their Year Zero engine, which uses a D6-based system, uh, which is based on like dice pulls and successes and failures. They're also well-known for uh, their games Mutant Year Zero and Tales from the Loop, but now they have, they have the rights to put out the Alien RPG, which I have waited years for an actual Alien RPG. Waited so long for one
2: that I made one myself, and then they finally made an official one. And I was like, all right, this works. I was going to say, I, I didn't really think you patiently waited. You just made something yourself, which I have to admit, having played in what you made and played in this new system, they were remarkably similar.
0: Yeah, a little too similar. <laughs>
2: I feel like maybe there were
1: some spies in my network of uh Brody,
0: why is there an antenna coming off of your glasses?
1: Be-de-de, be-de-de. <laughs> uh so yeah, the uh the alien RPG is a fantastic representation of the franchise itself. It uh tells you first and foremost that this is a horror game, which if you've never seen any of the alien movies, you should know right up front that it is a very uh graphic Fr- franchise horror franchise um I mean,
0: a, a a a movie series about these little you know strange creatures that you know incubate and then burst from people's chests as a horror franchise well yeah the shock
1: um you, born, if you can't see my
0: face folks there's no shock at all on my face right now <laughs> sarcasm
1: born from the literal uh night terrors of swiss surrealist painter uh h.r gigger he actually, uh, Necronom Four, I think I should know this. One of his his works is features the um, what would soon be the the alien, and wow, he, that actually the idea of it came from a night terror, which he ha- he suffered from like uh, chronic night terrors that kept him up so much they had insomnia and oh, other issues, and it's like. To have something a lasting legacy like that, born from your
0: own nightmares, is is a testament. Well, there there's another another well known franchise that was also born from someone's nightmares. The Twilight franchise.
2: Oh God! <laughs> so did uh, did somebody in the movie industry approach HR, or how did how did that connection get made? Um, I believe Ridley Scott, when
1: him and Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett. Set out to make a film. I think this is actually before Ridley Scott was brought on. Uh, they wrote a script for a. They wanted at the time because Alien came out in 1979, and they Fox wanted something else to coincide with the success of Star Wars, which oh. also came
0: out in that same um, uh, decade. Which is weird because there is a completely different feel. Completely, different. not not just and just the look the the pacing like you would think like yeah star wars came out in the you know the 70s and then you look i'll be honest aliens looks like much more of the modern era that you know more it modern does, style like i, of I can't
2: believe it was 79 like i was born in 77 this movie franchise is only two years younger than me
1: uh and this this is one of scott's earlier works too like he was still technically new as a director wow um Scott actually was the one that when they were going through uh, ideas, the the original concept ideas for the alien was way different and much less scary. And when they brought really Scott on to direct, and he was like, no, no, this needs to be scarier. He's like, scarier. They kept bringing him stuff. He's like, scarier. He's like, this is not scary enough, guys. He actually came across, uh, I don't remember the whole story. I should know this. Um, He actually came across some of gigger's work and he's like i want to meet with this guy and fox was like that seems a little pricey he's like do you want this film made (laughs) and they were like okay yeah sure so they they bent the knee to scott and they got an audience with uh, hr and um it wasn't long after that that scott was like this is it this is our creature it's like this, this we you know, they made some design tweaks and stuff to make it a little more streamlined because they wanted to make it uh because you know, at the time there was no CGI. No. Um you know,
0: like, even I like I have actually this is I have actually seen one of the suits that these actors wore for the xenomorph, and those things are massive and bulky.
1: They they are and also very claustrophobic. Yeah. The um uh they met Ridley met the guy that would play the alien, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name, I apologize, Balaj Baleo. Um, he was a college student from Nigeria, I believe. And they met him in a bar, and uh, he asked, because he, he could also, he was like slightly, Um. I forget what the medical term is, but he, he was like a con- contortionist. Yeah. He could move in ways that normal people can't and Ridley was like would you like to be in a movie <laughs> could you
2: like could you imagine you're sitting at a bar and you you know you and this guy are talking and it comes up that you're super flexible and he's like would you like to be the thing that everyone fears in their nightmares well, that, that's the thing it's that's, like sure
0: i'll go home with you that that is the thing about the these aliens is that you know before they talk about star wars the aliens were you know very i guess very cute and cuddly very likable they were they were humanoid they had this you could you know kind of
2: there was a relatability. There was a there, even it. though it was, you know, foreign to the, you. The
0: the first like the first time you see one of these creatures, you're like, okay, this is this is a predator. Yeah. This is something that's built to and it's hunting me. And there's that that prime sort of that primordial fear, which I guess now makes sense because of the night terrors, that primordial fear that yeah. it speaks to. And I have to say, I've only played like one session, but this game perfectly captures that feeling of you are being hunted by something. That can easily take you out.
2: It really does, and I think one of the one of the big things, like I've, I've played a few of these, like a lot, several in Brody's version, and then the actual uh, to market version, and I think it's the storytelling that is kind of the center of the game that really brings that about. Because it's at its heart, this is more of an RPG system than the mechanical part of the system. Like it's it's more focused on the the role play.
1: Yeah, it. A matter of fact, up front, it tells you in the first few pages of the book, the dice rolling should be kept at a minimum. Uh, the dice should be rolled for extremely important situations and dire circumstances because it leans into heavily for the role-play factor. It wants your, it wants the players to be uh, immersed in the drama and the tension, the stress, which <laughs> I'll, I'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, but it... it it's this is a testament to free leagues uh, writers and, and game designers that it lends itself and leans into really well the the feeling of emoting uh being in like the franchise itself like you're in the movie oh, yeah. basically a- every
2: time i've played i believe afterwards first thing out of my mouth is as we were playing i could see this like the film like
0: it, it you go through the game very like cinematic you're in the movie yeah it's very cinematic now, the because you mentioned the simplicity of it like that's I, that could be why because it wants such a, a more focus on the role play on the that intrapersonal aspect the character creation for this system is very simple and very easy to understand yep. as opposed to like say you know Pathfinder or, or fifth edition or even gerps some of these other ones where it's more you you make your role and then you react in character to the roles and the things happening this one's more set to where okay cool yeah you have your abilities but this is more geared toward the world reacting to you.
1: Yeah. It's uh, deceptively simple, but also there's a level of complexity to it that can be tailored to those people that like the more crunchier side of RPGs. Um, Like I made a bunch of characters. I made like eight characters for a one shot for this game. And it took me an hour to make all eight of them. Which, like, if you if you sat down to make that many uh, characters for like D and D or, that's or Pathfinder, that's your That's that's more than a day almost. Yeah. But uh, it's 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 really simple. Um, it's very straightforward. Some of it can be a little like, uh, oh wait, I don't, I don't understand how that works. But uh, it it the game is very straightforward and tells you this is how this works, this is how that works, and if you don't understand this, flip to this page. Um, it, it keeps, it's very streamlined. That's the word I was trying to get to, uh, streamlined and simple.
0: Now you mentioned at the very beginning that this was a D6 system. Cause like we're familiar with like, uh, D&D and Pathfinder where you have the, the D20, the 2D10s, the D8, the D4 and all those. Uh, this one just, I mean, I'm playing it. You just need a pool of D6 dice. Yeah. And I like that because you don't have to go out and specifically buy special dice. Now you can, they make the special dice. They're gorgeous and really cool. But as long as you can keep, like, separate for these are my ability dice, these are for an ability later called stress dice, as long as you keep them separate. You just, really just need two colors of yeah. D6s, and you're I mean, set. I mean, we all have those board games in our closets that we've lost pieces for, but amazingly, the dice are still there, so you're set to play. You just yeah. need D6. Yeah,
1: the, it's their year zero engine just completely D6s. That's all you need. Um, they they do, like Moffat said, they do make a special specialty dice for their game. If you wanted to go out and buy those, which I did, uh, <laughs> they have their, their base dice as they're called, uh, which are one color. And then they have their stress dice, which is for a mechanic that is all throughout this system. And their stress dice have uh, special faces on the ones, which is a face hugger. So whenever uh, specific things that come up in the game, uh, tense situations or, when you try to do something and there's a modicum level of difficulty, you may accumulate
0: stress. You know, like a xenomorph t- trying to tear down the door while you're trying to, you know, lock it, that kind of stuff. That's going to stress
2: you the <laughs> hell out. St- the stress dice add such a beautiful tension to the game that it, it creates this taut feeling that you get while watching the movie and there are these dark corners, you know, or you walk into a room and there's a body or, you know, you catch a glimpse of something at the end of the hall the stress dice really mechanically are able to kind of create that tension in the game. I I know it is so prevalent that after we played it uh, the first time, I didn't play an Android. I went back <laughs> and played an Android to try to avoid some of the stress because, like, it got
0: to me. Like, it really got to me in the game. The, yeah. And I love the finality of it. Like, with, with D&D, like, you have your, your DCs you roll for, and even if you don't hit that exact number – you know, you can still kind of fail for. You'll still learn and glean yeah. things. Or if you go above that, not in this game. If no. you don't have any successes on those dice, it's a failure. It's it's
2: pass fail for sure. And what's crazy is like the the stress dice, and I'm sure you'll get to this in in a minute. When you have all these nice successes, and on your stress dice, you get that one failure. Oh God! And it takes it all away. Way. It just t- you know, it is just like
1: Moffa said. It is finite. It is a a. It, it, the game tells you also, right up front in the first few pages, this is a lethal system. Like, your characters could die uh, to the slightest thing because you are human. You are a regular person. There's no magic. It's a sci-fi yeah. horror system. You were in, and Also, you're at the vacuum
0: of space. Yeah.
2: For the the, the one majority we of the time. We've yeah. done one, one on the ground so far. Yeah. Uh, which, it was cool. It was a very, very different game. Didn't the whole planet blow up? To be fair, no. <laughs> we all died. Like we all died. Um, like props to props to Missy. You did a great job driving. Um, but you know, bombs are bombs. Uh, yeah, the the
1: stress mechanic uh lends itself to really creating those situations of of feeling dread. And uh, it does it really well to emulate that for the players as well, because yeah. you could have um with your dice pulls, you have like your your stats represent uh your your different aspects like wits um logic your strength and agility and it's like different um mechanics that that um do your skills and different things like that where you can be focused in different different areas of expertise and you could have like uh, a four and, and a stat. That means you have four dice to roll, and you have four
0: chances to. Which you know, I love. Get a I love success. the simplicity of that. It's not you know okay. I have to had this with this modifier and yada yada. No, it's just I roll this many dice. What's my pool? That's What's my pool? I roll. Yeah.
2: Did I get any successes? Which what are successes on the on the dice? Successes is just a
1: six. Only a six. If you get one or more sixes, that's a success. Sometimes it's it's um, a. They look for levels of success, like if you get more than one six. Uh, Anything other than that, it's a failure. But it doesn't always mean failure in a negative way. It just means whatever it is you're trying to do does not happen. Like um, you're trying to unlock a door and your friends are standing behind you uh, doing Overwatch. They've they're got their flashlights and their one gun, and they're looking down the hallway to try to make sure nothing's coming down the corridor. Well, you're trying to hack this door open, and you have no stress. This situation would probably present itself to being like, all right, this is going to be stressful because not only are you being hunted, uh, you're trapped like a rat at the you end of You don't know what's corridor. on the other side of that door. You don't. Yeah, you don't know what's on the other side of the door, so you roll, say, like you had a five. You roll five dice, and you got no successes. That's okay. Deep breath, you can do something that's called pushing the roll. And you can only do it once. Uh, and it gives you another chance to try to do that. Now, there are like class a bit like there's no really classes in the system. They have what are called uh careers, careers which yeah. we'll get to that in a second. But you get chances to re-roll, but if you push the roll, as it's called, you accumulate a stress die, no matter what it is. As soon as you say, I push the roll, all right, you roll, but add a stress die to it. So now your stress doesn't always mean negative. It can benefit you because your stress dice adds to your pool, which increases your chances of getting successes. The downside to that is you have the stress die, and immediately if you roll uh, a one or a face hugger, if you're using the special dice, that's a failure. Whatever it is you're doing, doesn't matter how does many successes matter. does not matter. And, and the
0: cool thing is, it's not always prevalent or clear to the player what the failure or the success entails. A lot of that is on the the side of what uh, you know. You have the D and D as the dungeon master, have game masters. I love the one of this one. You are the game mother. Game
2: mother. <laughs> what Man. I think's crazy about the stress dice is like once you get it, it's yours. You have that. Yeah. It's yep. not like okay, well, I failed. Here's the stress dice back till I try something else. No, that's you in your pool now. Oh no, that you, you accumulate that. Yeah, like I think the last time we played, it was the closest you've come to handing out all of the stress dice you own. I believe there was eight. Somebody had eight stress dice. Yeah, like literally, oh, people people were at the table standing up, <laughs> wringing their hands and wiping their foreheads <laughs> and debating whether or not they should try a roll because it's like, well, I've got these eight stress dice. And I gotta not roll a one on all of those, and hopefully get a success on something. Now That's
1: ridiculous. I, <laughs> I break their rule of saying you shouldn't roll the dice as many times because I like to roll the dice. People and like that. I know roll everybody dice. else yeah. does We too. all love that noise. Yeah, clickety clack. Um, I, I try to, in the future, I'm gonna try to keep it a little more reserved and and really keep the dice rolls for extremely important things. Like you could easily say, uh, I want to unlock this door. All right. You got your tools, you can unlock the door. Now, I mean, if there's a level of difficulty there, be like, okay, there's no power to the door. All right, well, now we got to figure out how to put power to yeah. the door or, you know, whatever like that. Um, I will say this, too, before, like, jumping off to the next part. The There are ways to reduce your stress, which is really helpful. I know Thank certain God.
0: careers have, like, when, when I played, the I had the, uh, the career that basically... Because you can't like just. It's not like in D and D where. Actually, I'm sorry. It is. Forgive me. I misspoke. It is like in D and D where you have to have a a safe place to take a rest. Yeah. Yep. And then by resting, you remove stress dice in the career I had. When you re- remove one dice, I could instead remove you removed an additional one, which was which was great. Which that kept our game like very few people got above like three stress dice yeah. to their pools, which was which was fine. Uh, Wasn't doing my job. I played a
2: psychiatrist, psychologist, I'm not sure, in this last one, and, like, they have an ability to remove stressed ice. And then there's the items, like everybody has a, yes. a it signature, a signature item? item. Yeah, It could be,
1: like, anything. It's just something for your character to kind of uh, relieve the tension. And one of my favorite things to, to ask when somebody says, uh, is this a
2: safe space, I'll say, do you feel safe?
0: Do you feel secure?
2: The correct answer to that in the Aliens game is no, No, never. 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 My favorite signature item was, uh, I think Ashley played a character named Keith, which was super yee-yee, and he had a can (laughs) of Copenhagen. Oh, God. That was his safe item. Just take it out and thump it. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. I grew up with those guys. Uh, Oh, yeah, same. (laughs) Uh, So
1: the game itself has two ways to play. There is a campaign mode and a cinematic mode. The cinematic mode is their version of uh, modules and pre-made adventures, so to speak, for you to play in that really kind of lend themselves to being like, uh, if you want to do a quick game to introduce people to the game and show them how the system works, um, it functions like a one-shot. Now, some of them are a little longer than just a one-shot, which is is okay, too. Um, They have three out so far. Uh, I don't know if there's plans to make more, I hope. But there is Chariot of the Gods, Destroyer of Worlds, and um, uh, Edge of Darkness, I think. Uh, Hearts of Darkness, my bad. And they're all surprisingly connected. I didn't realize that until I was reading the last module. They are all connected in some way. They tie back to each other.
2: I can't fathom a campaign of this game where you're playing a character in multiple sessions. Like... The first time we played, you had us roll up multiple characters because you told us the first one's going to die. Probably. Like, that's happening. But, like, unless you just clone Sigourney Weaver and just have everyone play a different version of Sigourney, I don't know how this turns into a campaign. <laughs> I mean,
1: there, there's a plethora of uh, characters in the Alien uni- universe that have lived through more than one encounter,
2: not just uh, Ellen Ripley. I will say, though, it's, it's not a good look if you're working for Waylon. No, yeah that's this is your one movie <laughs> uh
1: which so the campaign mode is like kind of what James was saying is uh if you're playing you sit down to make your characters and you make a campaign, it's you telling your own story um I haven't done that yet, but I would like to actually it's on my to do list is to play a full length like campaign man. And like I, uh, I have the
0: beginnings of one, and I will admit, mine. The way I've got it, the way I would play it is that as the campaign progresses, there are story reasons where things start happening, and it gets it gets less and less easier to avoid the xenomorphs, so or to avoid yeah. the things happening. So, like, you, you know.
2: start off, you know, in a corporate setting, and things are shady, and it's more kind of an espionage yeah. feel. But then you move into on site to try to. Figure out what's going on, and then you Certain, start running into a little danger, and then the next thing you know, all of you know, the poop is on the fan. All of a sudden,
0: you're, you're, only now, you're locked in one, uh, one part of the building where there's only six rooms, yeah. and there are three xenomorphs, you yeah. know, that kind of thing.
2: I could see it. I could see it in that set and how you would just move through differing levels of association with the xenomorphs. Yeah. It's one thing that
1: always—it's my one rule, my one rule. If you're in a situation like this, why didn't you look up first? <laughs> they're notorious from dropping from yeah. the ceiling.
0: Just like look up maybe when you maybe, go into a new room, look up. One of the but, one of the uh, most famous like scenes is just like the bunch of like scurrying across the top of, and it's the, that's, I don't know what it is about the way they move when they're crawling. I mechanically I know how they made the effect, I know how it works, but it just the way it looks. I'm like, oh god. It,
2: it activates that uh, primal
0: that, part of the yeah. brain where you're flight like, or flight. Flight. Flight, flight. flight. And The correct answer is uh, flight. because you <laughs> yeah. can't fight these things.
1: No, that, which there's, there's combat in this game. There are ways to fight uh, because the fun thing about this system is it's not... Your enemies aren't always Xenomorphs. Yes. There are yeah. other alien entities out there. Um, there also is a whole level of different ways to play with corporate espionage, um, fighting against uh, mercenary factions and people that are hired to do things that... Um, Say, Like they're going, they have to go collect a specimen or whatever. Or Whalen Utani calls them dog catchers,
0: <laughs> uh, but that
1: Whalen Utani commandos specifically they have their own private military corps which competes with uh the colonial marine corps which is also under the payroll of Whalen Utani. Weyland- I never yeah. understood that. That's because uh the USCM is also under control of the United Americas, and the Interstellar Commerce, Interstellar Commerce Commission, which means they can't do things that Weyland-Yutani wants them to do. Weyland-Yutani will do all sorts of shady stuff, so that's why they have their private military corps.
0: Now, to the uninitiated, I know a lot of what we're saying is just blabble, but if you go and pick up the player's handbook for uh, for the Aliens RPG... This is all in there. Yeah. yeah, you have maps of the galaxy. You and have beautiful books, territories, and all. You don't have like you could literally go in knowing okay, aliens are they come from eggs? They latch on your face. They burst out of your chest. If that's all you know going into this role playing system, you're good. Yeah. yeah, you don't actually have to have
1: watched any of the movies. It's better if you do, but the the book, the core rule book itself, is all you really need. Because it gives you a ton of background information that's not present in the movies. Because yeah. there's some yeah, you things surprised that, me with some yeah. stuff
2: this last time we played. and I was like, wait a minute, that that's a thing. He's like, yeah, there's a lot in the books that you don't know just watching the movies.
1: They they talk about it a lot in the movies, but they never elaborate on it. So it leaves you like, well, what does that mean? Like, yeah. what is? I would like to see this. There's always been that huge thing like I want to see the aliens on Earth in the official, like, timeline. can confirm. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, you don't. There's plenty of books <laughs> and comics where that has happened, yeah. but... Uh,
0: Batman has, I think, tangled with three of them by this point on Earth. And Green Lantern. And Green Lantern and Superman. I think Wonder... Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh,
1: that was back when Dark Horse still owned them. Yep. Um, there's no telling what's going to happen now. Uh, side story. Um,
0: yeah, so let's let's get... Because you mentioned combat. Now, how, how does, like, the combat of the Aliens RPG differ from, you know... Pathfinder or D&D? What are the, the differences in there?
1: You have, uh, like, it doesn't really lend itself to using miniatures. You can, uh, but it gives you ways for keeping it all in theater of the mind. Uh, now, I love using miniatures, so I'm going to find a way to use them. But so far, I haven't done that in any of the one-shots or
0: games that I've run. I know. I'm staring at a cabinet right now containing multiple versions of uh, of xenomorphs, and they're all <laughs> terrifying. Um,
1: like the combat itself is it's very simple. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. You have ways to to hit and deal damage. Your armor uh, works like, it works in a way that I like armor to work, which is basically just damage reduction. Yeah. Uh, I don't particularly like how in other games, like specifically like fantasy settings, that it just adds to preventing you from getting hit. I, I like it better when it's an actual representation of what armor should do. Um,
0: like I, the, the GURP system you have, it's literally called your DR, your damage reduction.
1: Yeah. I think uh, I like that better too. I think it's a, a little more realistic, which the game leans into the realism. Because, I mean, there's there's uh, only two things that you can actually play in the system. You can play a human or an android. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. And androids have their own specific set of rules that they have to follow as well. My they...
2: personal favorite to play.
0: I love the androids in this yeah, I, game. Yeah, I loved, I loved playing my human guy. Uh, that the one, the main him.
2: thing for me about the androids is, one, you don't have to roll the stress dice. Now, Correct. that being said, I can't push my luck as an android, yeah. or I can't push the roll as an android. Like, I don't get to do that. So, you know, what I roll is just what I roll. Yep. Uh, I either do it or I don't.
1: Yep. And it's... it's... There's a level of deception that comes with that because it tells you up front, do you want to be open with your party if you're an android or do you not want to be open and let them find out in the game. Say if you get injured, it's going to be pretty prevalent when
2: that white circulatory fluid yep. comes out and he's like, oh, you're not human. That kind of <laughs> reminds me of the one of the differences that this game has with most of the time when, I, like when I'm running or playing a game, I ab- abhor the idea of player versus player stuff but this game has like a, a, like a secret agenda pretty much for each of the characters that will sometimes pitch you at odds with one another, but it doesn't have that, n- that nasty feel to it. Yes, it will, Captain. It will most definitely <laughs> do that. <laughs> there, there I is... may have shot some people in a game me <laughs> and Moffat played in as a captain.
1: <laughs> the, the system has um, what is called a buddy and rival system and an agenda system. The agenda basically gives your character a goal to complete, and whether that goal is good or bad uh, is dependent on the agenda. Now, in cinematic gameplay mode, uh, your agendas and your buddies and rivals are determined for you because they're pre-made characters. In campaign, that's that's different. That's up to you and your your game mother to figure out.
0: Um, I, but, I, what I enjoyed like during the cinematic where we played was or the uh, where it was. The our motivations they they didn't change they evolved like mine originally was yes. protect my crew yeah then it went more to like you know get the crew get my get my crew off the ship and it kept kind of you know changing to various points where in the end my care's like okay I have to get them off I don't care about myself my crew gets off this ship and if anybody you know hurts my crew they're no longer part of my crew which I still look and this game is so. It it was just watching your character go, James. I'm sorry. It was just talk about like right in Flavor for the Aliens franchise. That that a hole captain character. He thinks he's about to get off the ship and win and survive and then
2: Well, I mean, that that wasn't exactly my character, but <laughs> I, if that's what you got from it. I mean, I I I had I had my own personal agenda yeah. and it involved um my son's character. Like I, I he he had a uh, was it a flaw? What is that called? Um,
1: he it wasn't a flaw. It was his um his signature item, and he just kind of leaned into it. His signature item was a pill bottle because yeah. he was
0: a junkie. I thought the pilot was the thing with he his 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 uh, his uh I guess not class but his career with pilots. There was a thing he could do with
1: adrenaline junkie. Adrenaline junkie. That's a, yeah. yeah. But basically, he, he, you were giving him the the. the I, I enabled
2: him because I needed more performance out of him. Yeah. Um, when, I, when, I, when we came to a point to where there was going to be a conflict and who was in command because we had found another captain, I very quietly and manipulatively took that captain to a place where he could be remanded to not being a problem. Yeah, yeah, you shot him in the head.
0: <laughs> I did shoot him. Look at me; um, I am the captain now. And that's the thing it it was right there. Like there was at no point did I feel like that was out of flavor. Or and look, I, dude, I, to me, Xander's character. I loved his character. Oh yeah, he he played. He, it played was the, great. he played that up great. The
2: the my rival was a uh, Beck's character yep. in that one because they were they were playing the, uh, the, company, Weyelun, man. the company, company man, the company man, the Wayland Utani agent. Uh, we were at odds like the whole game. But there were also points in there where we found spaces to work together yeah. because our agendas would line up. It's just that when they did not line up anymore, it kind of got to a point of, I need this person to not be an issue at this point because
0: now it's, it's not going to come back around that we can work together. I, I like to think that my character, you know, kind of really turned a corner when I found that shotgun. That, that was when it was great.
2: I, I knew my character was going to die, and it was probably going to be a result directly of the things that he had done in the game to the people in the game. Um, and, like, separating himself from the crew in your character's eyes, yeah, that was that was ultimately the thing that kind of got him, because I feel like your character would have came to bat for yeah. him. Um, But it, it was pretty apparent that I had done some nasty things.
0: It, the Because the thing is, like, uh, Beck's whole thing, their character, when—I'm I'm trying not to spoil how it ends— there's a part where basically uh, Beck's character went, "Okay, save everybody, and I will give you this information." And in that moment, my character went, "Wait, they're willing to basically get everybody." Okay, they they have become part of my crew. They they yeah. are which they weren't. They, they were weren't. Lying. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. so that's the <laughs> company thing. Company man. Company <laughs> man. But at the, <laughs> the time, company. my guy, you know, kind of okay, you're helping my crew, and then you. But yeah, honestly, I was prepared, the way I had my guy going. I had I was ready for my guy to go down. I want him to die. In that moment of, you know, in front of the airlock, as it's closing, he's just unloading, uh, you know, round after round into these things. As I was wanting to go the massive hero's death, and I survived, oddly enough.
1: Which, by the way, handguns don't really do a whole lot to xenomorph hide. Matter of fact, in, uh, in Aliens, you can see handgun fire ricocheting hey. off of their... Armored head.
0: I think you were being you were being more polite and kinder with us because we were we were playing against the NeoMorphs, which is the they're the a lot pink. squishier. They're a lot squishier.
1: They're also pretty. Uh, they're they're equally fast and nasty in their own way. Which something I was going to point out. Where since we were kind of talking about combat, is uh, like the human enemies that you can fight, or uh, enemy androids, or some of the other aliens that you could encounter. That you know you may stand a reasonable chance. The aliens, like the xenomorph hive, any of the cast in that, drones, warriors, uh Praetorians, any of that nature? Nah, nah. Like the table that they get, there's no damage for them. You when if they hit you you roll a D6 on a specific table, and there are six options. One of those options is how they're going to kill your character. That is
2: literally how that goes. To me, that appears to be your favorite part of the game because every time you get to roll on the table, (laughs) those eyes light up. He giddily snatches up the book flips to the table. is like, let's see what happens.
0: Which, by the way, I I would like to think that if somehow a Praetorian had gotten in the mix of that on the Kronos, my guy just would have went, oh, (laughs) We just crept my pants. Um. <laughs> yeah, I haven't haven't
1: had a chance to throw anything of that higher stature yet. Uh, I think the only things that we've had a chance to play with is the neomorph and um, like warriors in that one yeah. shot we did yeah. on Valentine's Day. I
2: remember throwing a barrel of rocket fuel at something and shooting it at one point in that the was game.
1: that was my home homebrew game. Yeah, <laughs> that was a whole
0: different cat. Uh, I remember of cats. that
2: resulted in me starting my second character. Yep. It's and, self-sacrifice. And again,
0: folks, like, you know, Praetorians, Warriors, all of that is in this book, is in the handbook, by the way, the player's handbook. Correct. It's an amazing bestiary with great works of art. Uh, so what I'm saying is, hint, hint, go buy this handbook. It's great. I it's, love it. It's definitely worth it's it. It's a gorgeous book. like Full
1: color, front to back. And it's like, you you could tell the production quality that went into the this, and, this and book. And it's
0: such an easy read. Look, I'll admit, the D&D, hand, the D&D player's handbook It's a little bit, you kind of have to slog through some parts of it. This one, I had no problem just because it was all, the information was presented clearly and simply. There wasn't any, you didn't have to kind of like muddle through how to figure stuff out. I liked that.
1: Yeah, there's um, the core book and then the three modules that you can get. Uh, There's a starter kit that actually, I believe, comes with Charity of the Gods. And um, there is also a book specifically for uh, playing in marine campaigns like Colonial Marines, which is it's it's called the Colonial Marines Operations Manual, and it it also expands further. Like <laughs> the it, it goes into detail about uh, all of the information about how the United States Colonial Marine Corps was formed, what they do, their campaigns like throughout wars that they fought, like stuff that is not so touched much on details, at, at yeah. all in the Alien universe, and then it takes stuff from the comics and the novels too and canonizes it. Which, by the way, these books are canonical. Like, the films, it also tells you up front, too, which films are canon and which ones are not. <laughs> and since, ugh, I hate to even utter this, since this franchise is owned by Disney, it's, whatever they put into this book is canonical. So, end of story, which has been a huge debate in this fandom
0: for years. I'm going to go ahead and predict it right now because uh, Disney has a why at the end of it. It is Weyland-Yutani. It is the Yutani. <laughs>
1: they they are the Yutani. Uh There's such a, the universe itself is so bleak. Like, the franchise has a lot of those tones of corporate overlords. It does. Like, yeah, there's, there's governments in the world, but they have so little say. The corporations run everything, and Weyland-Yutani is one of the biggest. They have their hands in everything from... Pharmaceuticals, robotics, space travel, weapons Biotech. manufacturing, bio uh bioweapons, everything. Uh yeah, did I say space colonization? Yeah, yeah. That's a thing too. Sp- uh spaceship uh design and engineering. Um the, the Colonial Marines book actually is pretty cool because I got to learn about like their campaigns, like the wars on the frontier against other militant groups and guerrilla factions and it's like like i didn't even know half of this was a thing oh, wow there was like a whole colony uprising where the colonial marines had to go in and basically like all right um we know you're wanting freedom but uh this is not the right way to do it and it's like oh this is some dark shit damn um i was trying to think of what i was gonna say that,
2: that sounds very similar to kind of like some of the the firefly stuff with the colonization and the war and the stuff they had, didn't you say that there were some like connections between yeah? You mentioned the uh, and one of the and some other things. One of the
0: ships in the big scene where they're uh, flying through Reaper space in the, the Serenity movie. You mentioned that one of the Weili ships as a Weyland Yutani logo. Yeah, oh, that's the crazy. very
1: first episode of Firefly when they're you're watching the the fight in the valley with Mal and he gets on one of those um, uh, big like platform guns. And the little monitor uh, that he looks into when it springs up, and the top center is a Wayland yep. Yutani logo, which means they supplied weapons to the Alliance. <laughs> I, I know,
0: like there's a lot of them. Like I went back in uh, Fallout Three and Fallout Four. There's a lot of like uh, homages to, and then especially in Wild Wild Wasteland, there is for uh, Fallout New Vegas. If you get the Wild Wild Wasteland perk, there's a part where you come to the Nevada, and the you know the new uh, the Mojave Desert. Where there is a a guy laid out on a uh, on a rock, there's a bunch of like broken death claw eggs around it. Uh, and if you look at the body, it says uh, like it, I think it like gives some name from the aliens franchise, which is really cool.
1: Huh. There's this look. Well, this franchise has so deeply engraved in pop culture. It's not even funny. I mean, the, there's uh, a ton of things that are Mel Brooks.
0: Referenced. Mel balls Spaceballs, where the guy, you know, the frickin' Oh, my baby. Yeah, thinking it was funny it was John hurts again. He's like. Oh Not no! Again. Not again! No. That was great.
1: Uh, like this this franchise means a lot to me, which is is weird because like how many kids growing up were allowed to watch R rated horror films of this nature?
0: Jurassic Park terrified me as a young child, which I love it now. Well, but, that's PG thirteen, yeah. But still, the- and the thing <laughs> is, this is back in the day when they you uh, that rated R that meant something.
2: <laughs> to be fair, you know, as far as the cuddleability of the aliens, uh, technically the queen is a Disney princess now.
0: Oh god. Mm. <laughs>
1: so something I wanted to talk about too is like you know how they they canonize a lot of the lore that's not present in the movies. Like they they go into detail about like the governments and this it it plays into like how you want to build your character because this is information that you actually might need to know. Like um there's there's th- basically three powers in space like over the frontier which is um, like the core worlds of the Milky Way galaxy. And then everything beyond that is just um, unknown space or semi-colonized space. You
0: this, this book has beautiful maps of all of this.
1: I have a giant map uh, framed in my office of the star chart. Uh, there's the three world empire, which is uh, the UK and Japan. And it doesn't list any others than just that, so I'm not quite sure why it's called the Three World <laughs> Empire. But uh, that's that's Wayland Utani basically. That is their government. Yeah. And aside from that, there's uh, the Union of Progressive Peoples, which is Germany, Spain, and Russia. Um, there.
0: That's a lot of communist overtones. <laughs> yeah, of that. A little bit, yeah.
1: Um, and then there's the United Americas, which is North America, Middle America, and South America.
0: As you know, America.
1: America. <laughs> Um, which it's weird to see how these uh, interact with each other because in the Colonial Marines book, they talk about the different interactions where some of these governments have butted heads, specifically when it comes to colonization. Like there's different worlds that you can go to and some that you're not allowed to. And it's like, well, that's, that's kind of harsh. But this is where a lot of that inter, um, like interpolitical, and government, corporate espionage and stuff that you can play. And like through a campaign, you don't always have to run into the alien. There's like, um, I know there's one uh, scenario that seems like it would be a really cool game to play. And they bring it up as where you're playing a group of colonial Marines that has to go and retrieve specimens At the behest of Waylon Utani, because Waylon Utani does not want a rival corporation, which I think is called LaSalle Bionational. They are also gunning for this specimen. So it's a race against the clock against a different faction hired by them to collect these specimens. And I was like, that seems like it'd be pretty fun. Of course, there's also the risk of specimen got out. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, this is. I, I love this game. I love this system and this setting. I could play in it all the time, but I don't run games
0: in it too much because. Uh, let it, it does kind of lend itself to a very specific style of gameplay. Yeah. Now I mentioned that because I my favorite like sci-fi franchise is the Starship Troopers franchise. I love the book written by uh, Robert A. Heinlein. Uh the you know Starship Troopers. The first movie was amazing. We don't talk about the second one. Uh the third one marauders was really good. The anime movies they've been doing are amazing. The animated ones are great. This is exactly that kind of system because much like the you know the the xenomorphs, the the bugs, the arachnids, they are that kind of like just a force of nature. I would very I would probably actually be very simple to just convert this over into the the Starship Troopers universe as well.
2: Uh
1: James Cameron actually uh had the cast of Aliens read Starship Troopers, which is where a lot of their terminology came from, like bug hunt
0: yeah, and things which, of that nature. By the way, folks, if you haven't ever read Starship Troopers by Robert A. Heinlein, I highly recommend it. Uh you there are tons of places on YouTube just to listen to it for like for audiobooks. It it is fantastic. And it goes into so much more in depth than just the what the movie does. There's so much more to it. Now you like you mentioned that this is majority of theater of the mind, and I do believe that adds into it because uh like you you used uh sound effects and audio cues to just magnificent uh magnificent uh, usage and that does like the fact you're sitting there and you're focusing you're thinking and all of a sudden you know a noise a door shuts there that adds so much into that that harder aspect
1: skittering sounds Skitter- alarm bells yeah it,
0: it's it's great
1: uh yeah i like using the music to set the mood because a lot of the soundtracks like are that's what They were made for Uh, there. Some of them are very um, anxiety inducing. I should put it like that. Uh, There's one track in particular that no matter how many times I listen to it, it still makes my anxiety go up because it's just, it has almost like a heartbeat to it, like a slow beat. And it's like, oh, and it's steadily increasing in tempo.
0: Another thing you mentioned is the, I know like, you know, d and D. I I think there's like 15 different classes and while this one you only have humans or androids, and there's only about, like, I think, six or seven careers. Careers. There are still so much you can do with that. It's like, well, yeah, there's only seven, but no. Within those seven, there's so many different ways you can play those that it is just as like diverse as the the classisms of D&D.
1: So there's like, um, they call them careers, and there's like a roughneck, uh, which is like your blue collar, space trucker, uh, worker. You have um, company agent, which is company like, company you
0: know, agent. Uh, adrenaline jockey or pilot for pilot, pilot uh, uh, security officer security officer uh colony marine and there's marine. this whole it's 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 so which good. the Colonial marine
1: book expands on yeah. that it gives more options for playing a marine like uh, comtech smart gunner um overwatch things like of that yeah. nature it's just like it expands on the squad mechanic for like being a marine so
0: final question brody as as probably the uh, the resident especially when it comes to the aliens franchise resident uh, Lorthos the the head nerd the the you know the 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 mother nerd as it is when it comes to the the aliens franchise do you think this system does pays homage and does a, an, a does a job does the job of you know representing the aliens franchise how how do you think this relates from uh from the the source material
1: i think it's perfect it does a very good job of presenting all of the relevant lore that you'll need, all of the feel of the movies. Um, it does a really good job at, at painting the lethality of uh, how it is to live in this in this setting. Because, I mean, besides, like, the aliens, if you're just, like, you know, space truckers, you got to worry about the vacuum of space, radiation, Random food videos, and water, yeah. like, things of that nature. And it's, like—
0: Like, there, there is no magic to heal yourself. Or, yeah, it's—let's it's, it's think, folks, it is realistic in that aspect, where if you get shot— Like, in d d you have the, the gunslinger class. Okay, you get shot, you take 1d10 points of damage. No, in this game, if you get shot, you just may die. It's not a, you know, it's a, uh, uh, you're dead. Uh, but yeah, I I love playing in it. I'm not a big horror fan, even though I love like, you know, the Lovecraft and aliens and stuff. But this this spoke to that, you know, that love of horror that I have. The fact that, you know, oh God, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. This is so cool, but I'm gonna die. That was just it was such a fun time playing in it.
1: I would like to leave my last word with a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes of the franchise. It's that uh that moment in the first movie, if you've never seen it, where they're interrogating the android that has revealed his colors to being a company agent. And they're trying to ask him about the alien. And Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver, says, Can we kill it? To which Ash, the android, calmly and coldly replies, I admire its purity, a survivor, unclouded by conscience or morality. I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies.
0: That is perfect. Uh, So, yeah, with that, we're going to uh, end the conversation on the uh, Aliens tabletop role playing game by Free League. Was that the name of it? Free League Publishing. Free League Publishing, an amazing system. Go out, folks. Uh, pick up the just uh, you pick up the main book. You have to buy. You don't have to buy the dice for it. Like I said, just a great, great system. Uh, now before we close out the podcast, you may have heard a couple of weird like sound deviations. You know, some weirdness with the sound and stuff. That's because folks, we are in a brand new space. This it's it's so great. Uh, we are part of Hive Media, and the Hive has moved to an amazing new building. We have this wonderful recording room here that I'm just so excited to be in. I, I am so proud of this. This is amazing, man. You guys are doing an awesome job. So with that, folks, we're going to go ahead and uh, close out for the for the day. Uh, I, as always, am Kenneth Moffat, a.k.a. the Southern GM. I am Brody, Elder Fan.
2: James at The Hive.
0: And we just want to say thank you guys so much for listening to us. If you haven't followed or subscribed to us yet across the various platforms, please do so. Go check out my stream, The Natural Ones, on Twitch and on YouTube. Uh, Go check out the Hive Media at thehivemacomb.com. Go check out Elder uh, Fenris' weekly stream of Stagande, Scars of Midgard. There is so much coming your way, guys, and we cannot do it without all of you. So thank you very much. I'm just going to end, as always, by saying, be good to each other. We only get one shot. Later.